Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome along. Another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. Delighted to say today, got a very special guest and, uh, well, you'll know who it is already because he's on the uh, title of this podcast. It's not really a secret, so I'll bring him on, Atif Nawaz. Hello. Hey James, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you, mate. And it's good to have you on the podcast and a lot to talk about today. I've kind of billed this as cricket and and comedy. And I mean, to to introduce you to people that don't know who you are, and this is taken directly off your website, so you can't complain about this. Um, Award-winning stand-up comedian, actor, writer, presenter, and cricket commentator. Does that about sum it up? Yeah, that checks out. That all checks out, just about. It doesn't have my cleaning or driving career, but that's okay. I mean, I, I come at you very much from the cricket angle of things, um, knowing you on TMS and uh, and various things you've done around cricket. Um, the comedy thing, that, that excites me, because I, I, I love watching stand-up comedians, and I love kind of getting into how that all operates and works. And I, I imagine that's quite a scary thing to get into as well. I mean, obviously, you, you I assume that you think you're funny. <laughs> and I assume that you think people would possibly want to listen to you. But that first moment of going up on stage for the first time with a microphone, that must be quite intimidating. Well, I never really approached it from that standpoint. For me, I, I wanted to perform, right? So I trained as an actor. I wanted to be an actor. That was my thing. And when I took to stand up, it wasn't because I thought I was funny. I, th- I guess I thought I was funny at the time. But, uh, you know, when I started, I approached it in a completely different way. I was kind of like, okay, let me try and say things that people are going to enjoy. And how can I, you know, get people's attention? And it was when I watched the old stand up back, I hate it. In fact, I I buried as much of it as I possibly can. Uh, It took me a long time to kind of realize that, well, stand up is actually for me to express myself. And it's still got that performance element. You're still preparing something and and giving it to a crowd. But, you know, the, the better you get at it, the more dynamically you can present that, the more engaged aging you can make it and i love it james to be honest with you and it always surprises people but it's still my kind of 
the thing I love above everything. I, I imagine you get quite a buzz from being on stage and hearing people laugh and applaud you. Oh, God. Well, it's just like getting that kind of instant gratification, you know, of like, you know, you you get you say something. It's quite remarkable. You put something on paper and then you say it out loud and kind of extract the reaction that you want. It's it's really, I mean, this December I was on a comedy tour. It was 18 nights long. And so we were going every night, different UK city, started in Glasgow, made our way back down to London. And yeah, it it's, it's really something to watch, you know, nearly a thousand people a night just respond to you. Uh, the kind of buzz you get from, you will not be sleeping till four in the morning. You don't need to be doing anything either. You're just kind of reliving it every single night and it never gets old. I mean, it's the, it's the cliched question. What's it like when it doesn't work? Can you standing there and nobody's responding? Have you had that? Of course. Um, yeah, what we call it on in the, in the comedy industry, we call it dying um, or dying on our backside. But <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I've happened to be before many times to be fair especially in the early days uh but yeah you know it can be a bit hard to take when you're new but over time you learn that you look 99 times out of 100 i'm gonna hit and it's gonna be fine and sometimes there'll be circumstances beyond my control or maybe i just made a little mistake or whatever it's fine but generally speaking uh, if when you're a professional comic and you've been going for quite a long time it's rare for you to go wrong so you know that it that that is the exception that proves the rule rather than the rule so you just kind of you just do it well, when I was media manager at Yorkshire, I used to work with a guy called Howard. And if you're watching Howard, hello. Uh, and he did a couple of gigs. He's a very funny bloke. And he did a couple of gigs, uh, like an open mic night. And it went really well. And he got quite excited about it. Did a third one. He traveled somewhere, did a third one and absolutely bombed. And never did it again. And I was thinking, that's such a shame. You got to, presumably you got to just push through that, have you? You do. I mean, I got a review once. Uh, I've mentioned this in numerous interviews, before, but I got a review once that was so scathing. Like it was, there were six or seven acts on the bill, and each one got a you know great. Like this person was fantastic, and this person was amazing, and this person's got a huge future. But Artif Nawaz was the worst thing on the show, and you know really like laid into me. And this was quite. Early. I think it was back in two thousand eight or something. It was a uh, some newspaper in Blackburn that has since gone out of business. Ha <laughs> ha, karma. Um, <laughs> But I, I remember that vividly. And I remember the pep talk a friend of mine gave me at the time. He's like, if you can't handle that, you might as well walk away now. And uh, well, 14 years later, I guess I didn't. How does then somebody that has trained to be an actor, that has done stand-up comedy, who obviously has a passion for cricket, that comes through. And that's what I like about when I listen to you on TMS and I watch you doing stuff, um, the eyes shine. You can see the, the passion for cricket that's there. But how do you go from being an actor and a comedian and get behind a microphone and start doing cricket commentary? Uh, by chance and luck, I'm going to say. Uh, I always loved cricket. I mean, I came from a household, a very typical Pakistani, British Pakistani household, where both my parents were obsessed with cricket. And, you know, I was introduced to it to a, a very young age, of six years old, uh, watching Imran Khan lift the Crystal Waterford Trophy in 1992. So I, it was always there. And uh, I always loved it. And, you know, I loved the Pakistan cricket team before I even knew what countries were. You know, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know what Pakistan is a country. I didn't realize it was, a. I just figured it was near Birmingham somewhere or like in, you know, I didn't realize it was a whole country, you know, I didn't know this. So yeah, I, I love the game. And then I, I, I remember I can pinpoint the moment where I transitioned to commentary. Exactly. It was, I played this charity cricket match for the Lord's Taverners against a new upstart team called test match sofa, uh, which Dan Norcross had created as an alternative cricket commentary service. And I, I think at that match, we all had a bit of chat and they, they liked me enough to say, Hey, why don't you come on the show? And to be honest with you, I didn't know what TMS was at the time. When, and when I say TMS, I didn't really know what 
test match special was at the time because I was like a very casual, you know, when you get in the car, you might listen to the cricket commentary. I don't really know who everybody is. I really just want to know the score, you know, when I'm in the car. So like at that point, I, that was my first kind of, okay, so there's this whole world of cricket commentary. And I got the invite to Dan Norcross's front room to commentate on, I believe it was uh, Bangladesh versus Australia. Uh, and I was like, yeah, why not? I'll drive across London to do that in someone's sitting room. Why not? I got quite drunk with Dan once in Barbados. He's a great bloke. And uh, yeah, but a lot of people have come through that, haven't they, into cricket, for, through Dan's front room and the sofa. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, Andy Zoltzman and just not just TMS. So there's myself, Dan and Andy who are on TMS. Nakul Pandey's uh, made a debut on it as well during the IPL last season. Um, but there's also people who've gone on to other cool things in cricket. Jared Kimber, he's been an analyst in teams and Cricket Info and God knows what Jared is everywhere, right? Uh, Lizzie Ammon, you know, she's kind of a very high profile cricket writer in this country as well. Um, and I'm forgetting somebody. This is really bad, actually. But we we genuinely had a conversation about all the amazing success stories from TMS who ended up getting a chance to to get out and about, and it was very it was really nice. And Dan's done all right for himself as well, hasn't he? He's doing, he's doing okay. <laughs> um, I've had a few questions in for you, Atty, so I'm going to run through those as we go through. But um, Cameron Ali has been in touch on Twitter. He says, you did a brilliant interview with Moen Ali not too long ago. How challenging stroke tricky was it for you to get Moen to share his thoughts? He's known to be a man of few words. So to get him to speak the way he did was a remarkable feat in itself. Well, that's very kind. Cameron's always been very kind to me. Uh, so I, that's very nice of him to, to, to say that. But I, it was... I don't know. It was just quite straightforward. I think I like to think there's something about me. Maybe it's what you said. It's just the fact that I'm a genuine cricket fan and I, you know, I d- didn't come in with any kind of agenda. I just wanted to ask him about the end of his test cricket career and how he was feeling and, the, you know, get that insight into yeah. the psyche of a man who, you know, probably carried the stress of God, like 50,000 men on his shoulders. And all of a sudden it's all gone. And I just wanted to get a sense of that feeling of relief. And, and then he just kept saying things. And even me, I was quite surprised that he that he said that. And, you know, he, he he's um, followed some of my work outside of cricket as well. So I, I've done a lot of uh, presenting and broadcasting work in Islamic media as well. And he's followed that a lot. So I think he sort of, it sounds like a weird dynamic, but there's like a, a, a mutual respect there, a, feel like, a feeling of sort of, I can be honest with this person. And he was honest. And um, I didn't try and coax anything like, I didn't come into that interview thinking, I, I want to get something. I want to get that bit that's going to get me on the front page. Of th- mm. I wasn't thinking that at all. I just wanted to have a nice, um, normal conversation with him and let him get things off his chest. And he did. And it was it was great. And I really enjoyed it. And appar- apparently so did he. And, and you know, when you when you interview somebody, even if, like you say, you don't go into it looking for the headlines and what have you, but just one sentence can stick with you. When you interview somebody and you, you kind of remember... Um, yeah, I can think back sort of 10 years interviewing people and there's things they said to me that kind of stay in your head because you know that was a really good line or something very interesting, eh? You do. And you know, conversely, sometimes they'll say so many interesting things that you won't be able to remember any, yeah. uh, which as was the case with Moeen. But um, I do remember that that the BBC were thrilled with um, the listenership that interview got. And, um, you know, there were a few other things that happening at the same time that didn't do as well. And this one did really well. And they kind of looked at me and said, you know, I got a lot of attaboys from the BBC, that I, from people that I hadn't heard from before. And I was like, mm-hmm. OK, so maybe I did do a good job. But honestly, it didn't matter about all the 
the, it's nice that people enjoyed it, but it didn't really matter about the feedback. For me, it always comes back to, this is so cool, man. This guy is like Moen Ali. He plays for the England cricket team. He's a test cricketer, massively revered, one of the most important players in the country. And I, I get to speak to him. I mean, <laughs> what a privilege, right? So I just, I never get, I never let myself get past that fan element of the game. Like, as if you're very, you're sitting next to, oh my God, that's Carlos Brathway or Ian Bell. I'll tell you a quick funny story about Ian Bell, Chase. Like the first time I had to interview, uh, I had to commentate with Ian Bell. I remember this. We were at Cardiff, and um, Ian was next to me, and I met him before. I was so I was like, "Oh wow, okay, that's so cool. You're with us today." Shook his hand, selfie, blah blah blah, and we're chatting, chatting, chatting. And um, we did the broadcast after the commentary went great. And I got a call from our producer after the game, and he said to me, uh, "Arthur, you're great. You're wonderful. Everything was great. Just one little note." I was like, "Yeah, what? What's up?" He said, "Just next time." You're working with a player. It's totally nice to big up their achievements and you know make them feel special. But you know you you might have gone a little bit overboard with Ian Bell. Like you you sounded like you'd want a contest to be there at times. <laughs> I was like Adam, I feel like I have won a contest to be here. You don't understand. I love this guy. Anyway, he's he really was a delight to work with Ian Bell. He's just a lovely guy. It's so so my interviewing people that there are times I've done an interview with somebody and they they've said a lot and you think oh this is going great and then you actually go to write it up afterwards and you actually realize they've said nothing because it's yeah. a lot of cliches and it's a lot of kind of it's just words really and uh, so it is it's really good to speak to somebody when they actually are properly candid with you and, and yeah. do that but I totally get what you're saying about being with people who you have admired from a distance and you suddenly find yourself in the same room as them and you think and it's a p- kind of literally a pinch yourself moment where you think am I actually here I was in the U- UAE and yeah. I was with in the same room with Brian Lara, Mahela Jai Wardner, Waka Yunis. And I'm sat there thinking, this is just crazy. It's, it's mad, isn't it, sometimes? It, it, it is. And you know what? You the, A lot of people are tempted to feel like they want to be cool in that moment or just be like, oh, it's no big deal. I meet cricketers all the time. Well, they're thinking of them for name-dropping purposes. When we mention the names of players, well, when I mention the names of players that I've had the time to spend, it's not like, oh my God, look at him and look who's in my WhatsApp. That's not what it is. It's very much a case of, I'm so happy I got to meet somebody whose work I've admired for such a long time. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying with being a fan of somebody or telling somebody that you're a fan of their work. I do it all the time because uh, I love cricket. I've loved cricket my whole life. So every time I get to share a space with any kind of cricketer, you know, uh, that especially those you know, the legendary names that you've just reeled off. I haven't met Mahalov, but I've met everybody else that you said. And uh, you know, it's really, really cool. And even doesn't matter how many times I meet them. Like it's still the, like mm-hmm. I've met Wakara uh, several times now. Uh, you know, Wasim Akram, I've been to his house, and you know, like <laughs> I never. And it's never like oh, I'm just at Wasim Akram's. I'll have a cup of coffee. It's never like that. It's always like oh my god, oh my god. You know, there was a bit where he had a jump. He had to do something with this jumper that he was giving somebody, and I was like, ah, that's a jumper that he wore in a test match. That's you know, <laughs> oh my god. There's the logo. Yeah, you know, I still get that sense of excitement. I never, I never, ever, ever want to lose that. Like when I lose that then I feel like I'll be doing maybe a disservice to anybody who listens to me on commentary. I, I spent three days in, in Abu Dhabi with my tongue hanging out. It was just ridiculous. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was probably quite embarrassing. Badges are furry creatures. 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. 
hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com, quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com, together we save balls. I was quite opposed to the hundred at Heath. I'll, I'll, hands up, and I'll say that. Off the uh, off the back of this question, Phil's asked on Twitter. Um, you obviously was part of the coverage of, of the hundred, and he says, "Did you ever feel under any pressure to sell the hundred um, when you were commentating on it? Um, was there pressure to be overtly positive? Did you feel there was anything negative about the concept or the impact of the competition? Was that was that in your mind at all, or did you just tackle that as any other gig?" Uh, well, no is the short answer. I didn't. I didn't think about that. Nobody forced me to sell anything. Um, I remember speaking to the head of BBC Sport at the time. Oh, I still still the head of BBC Sport, and asked him about like if I think something doesn't work. I actually had this feeling. I just thought I just if I think something doesn't. Can I say? And he's like, listen, say what you want. The way of the BBC, you got to be completely impartial. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. And I remember. I think it was the second or third game. I, I was talking to Michael Carberry on on commentary, and I love Carbs. He's one of my favorite people to work with because he's just like me. You know, he he loves the game, but he's quite excitable, and you know, he's got a lot of energy, and just a, he likes he likes a joke. But we were having a very serious discussion about the hundred, and you know, I said something like, you know, we've got the hundred. It could have been something else. Is it the perfect thing for English cricket? Maybe not. And I remember some people picked up on that and it was tweet, a quote tweeted or some people quote used my quote in tweets like, oh, Arthur says it's not the perfect thing or it's maybe not the right thing for English cricket. And I stand by that. But I also, so I, I respect anybody who doesn't like the 100 in the same way as I respect anybody who doesn't like the county championship or the T20 blast or the Royal London Cup or anything, the Charlotte Edwards Trophy, you know, um, like I just... It's down to a personal preference, but I, I keep it at that. Like, I don't want to, it's always so tricky to talk about this because like, I, I it's very controversial and this is where I lose a lot of people, right? I really enjoyed the hundred. Maybe that was to do with my proximity. I'm going to be objective. If I'm going to step back and try and say I was right there and I got to see something like 30 games live, men's and women's cricket. I've never seen uh, women's matches with that kind of atmosphere ever uh, and I've attended a Women's World Cup final before. You know, I, I just thought it did good things for people in the game who've historically been neglected. And it didn't have to be like that. It could have been a T20 competition, absolutely. It could have been something all different. They could have rebranded it. They could have done loads of things. I totally agree. This is what they've done. So my attitude was, okay, this is what they've done. As a broadcaster, I'm going to try my best to call it. And the five ball thing got time to get used to. People started calling it. Um, sets, so we went with sets of five, and I was like, "All right, Shalom, that's what we're doing." Mind you, uh, there was a like the most middle class conversation of all time was when Isabel Westbury and um, and and Dan Norcross run commentary, and they started t- talking about how when you buy uh, metro tickets in France, they come in packs of five, a carnet. So they were like, "Oh, we should call it a carnet of five. And I'm like, "Yeah, that's the audience. The the hundred is looking for <laughs> the the French speaking middle class. Come on, guys." Carnets or five. I was very clever, but maybe not appropriate to the situation. Anyway, to answer the very long-winded answer to that question is uh, nobody forced me to do it. Nobody forced me to say nice things about it. I didn't always say nice things about it. I did enjoy it. I, it, for me personally, it was a really big opportunity because I got to broadcast. I got to commentate on cricket on television mm. uh, on the BBC as well. So you know, on the it's not the same as Sky Sports. When you listen to Sky Sports, you get that deep analytical stuff. And you know, on the BBC, they've got to cater to like a broader audience, so they want to make it a bit more accessible. So 
to be tasked with that responsibility so quickly in this career it was a big it, it meant a lot to me so yeah i thought it was all right i don't think it's going to be the death knell of county Cr- i don't think it's going to you know i think short term there may be uh, a negative effect of when when first class cricket is played i think they can get around that they they should be able to coexist yeah i don't think i don't think it's a bad thing it don't, i don't think it's a bad thing i i think what uh, the one real positive for me from it and i try to I try to be objective, even though I was opposed to it at the start of it, because it, it comes from what you were saying about the marginalisation of four-day cricket and the 18 counties and what have you yeah, was, yeah. My, was my objection. But I thought what it did to the women's game was fantastic. And I, I agree with you. You know, the, the four-day game is marginalised. And, you know, a lot of people will point to England's struggles uh, over the ashes and say that was directly... Re- I don't know if that was directly responsible, but it might have a knock-on effect in a couple of years. Um I think eventually England will need to find a way to play four-day cricket in the heart of the summer. You can't. I, I think there's a window for the hundred. I understand why they do it, but there's they've got to find a better way to manage it. Mind you, last year there was COVID, There were a million obstacles last season, so the fact that they pulled it off at all is quite remarkable. But I think in the future they need to find a better balance. And but yeah, the goal has to be to transition that audience over to T20 Blast. Like, oh, you like London Spirit? Well, are you familiar with Middlesex? Uh, do you know there's a team called Essex? Oh, uh, Oval, uh, what was it, Invincibles? You could be, uh, have you heard of the Surrey team? Um, you know, there's so many ways you just try, I just picked all the London-centric teams. I'm sorry, I'm from London, I'm one of those people. Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, I just think it's got to be the gateway. I think that's a gateway to cricket. And, you know, I, I don't think anything that gets more people, more eyeballs on the game can be a bad thing, essentially. But anyway, well, well, you know, why don't we have a longer chat about the hundred and uh, and first class cricket another day? I think you'll be surprised. I I tried, I tr- I have like really um sort of uh, oh, so articulate I am. <laughs> They're kind of always in motion my opinions uh, on 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 the hundred and and cricket. But I uh, I know that it, kind of the core of my opinion is this is a good thing. This is a good idea. I it didn't need to be a hundred balls. Okay, fine. This is what we've got. I think it can be a good thing for cricket, uh, English cricket. How do we position it? Because I don't think we've quite got the positioning right yet. Anyway, that's my overall thing. Um, I what's up to you this morning. I was watching your uh, your your kind of sketch show, wasn't it, on on BBC Three, uh, Muslimic, and I not I didn't know anything about that, but obviously knowing you were going to come on, I was kind of doing a little bit of stalking of you on the on cyberspace, and uh, I really I found it brilliant. I thought it was it was really good fun. Is, uh, any more of that coming? How did you how did you get into doing that? Did you enjoy doing that? So uh, uh, we didn't do more of Muslim. We love doing it, and you'd be very surprised. There's a whole world of people out there who have no idea I have any affiliation to cricket and just know me as oh the writer he's the guy who wrote and he was in muslamic yeah um it was phenomenally popular when it came out i think it did something like 100 million views particularly the airport sketch it did like uh, over 100 million views online and people were ready bbc would gaga over it uh, ultimately we had a little uh difference of opinion let's say and then we didn't uh, make any more of it and um yeah i haven't had much acting work since to be honest with you but it's okay i i, I think i got to landed on my feet more right I think you've done all right, yeah. You've done okay, haven't you? Um, I, I found that, I mean, obviously I, I've been quite heavily involved with Azim Rafiq and what have you at Yorkshire and, and obviously the racism stuff there and kind of watching that um, Muslimic, I, I kind of, part of it makes you feel a bit awkward as a white guy because I've been in offices where I've seen things like that going on in, in previous lives. But I, I always think with, with race and racism and it's about understanding each other and the more that people talk about stuff and the more that people um, see 
I guess the other side, for one of a better phrase, the better, isn't it? Because it's all about understanding and getting to know each other, really. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I was really worried when the, the sketch first went out. It was about two, like, South Asian guys in an office who were competing over who was the more white. They each wanted to be the token brown person in this office. But, like, a lot of people thought, oh, well, this is just this is just them attacking or making fun of white people. And, and that's not what we were trying to do. The whole The point behind that sketch in particular is it's about assimilation and the things that we do to assimilate the things that we are uh the way we try and present ourselves to make ourselves more um accessible or feel more of a sense of belonging like i just i i was really pleased that most people just got it you know most people they're like i know people just like that you know and uh and it was, and you know, obviously it's caricatures, but like it was a sketch show. We were messing about. We had like various limitations to play with. And overall, I was quite pleased with that. I really, I really love that body of work. And I, if I never, when I was growing up, James, my, I had two dreams. One was to be a professional cricketer, which sadly never came true. I had that dream as well. I know. Mine was more specific. I wanted to win a gold medal at the Olympics in cricket. That's what I wanted as a kid. Right. Okay. I know it's you weird, to, right? You, That's you what have to, You had to change the landscape of sport as well yeah. as play cricket. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe if they can invent something for like over, I don't know. Well, it's still, I'm working on it. <laughs> and the other dream was to write and star in a TV show. And I did that. So I fulfilled that dream. So I'll always be, um, you know, I've always, I'll always have that. You are listening to the Cricket Badger podcast. Rummel's been in touch on Twitter and uh, I, I replied to this by saying this is a big question, but he's convinced you can reel this off off the top of your head. The all-time Pakistan Test eleven, the greatest ever, I guess. Okay. Uh, Hanif Muhammad, uh, Saeed Anwar, Zahir Abbas, uh, Javed Miadad, Yunus Khan, uh, Nita Kifa, I'm going to go Rashid Latif, uh, and Wasim Akram, Imran Khan. Uh, we'll flip them, Imran, before Wasim. And then we'll go Wakar and uh, Nita Spinner. I'm going to go Abdul Qadir and... One more seam bowler. We're gonna go with Fuzzle Mahmood. That's eleven, isn't it? I think you did all right there. You did all right. Yeah. I, he says you. He reckon you can do it in thirty seconds. I reckon you weren't too far off. That was, <laughs> that, that was all right, wasn't it? That was all right. How, how did um how did how has COVID and the pandemic affected you? Because obviously stand up comedy very much a live genre, isn't it? So that would have taken a, a big hit. But I guess it's given you time to maybe do a little bit more cricket when it came back. It did. Um, yeah, I was very lucky because during COVID, that's when I made my TMS debut. Like, I, I got to be in the bio bubble in Southampton. And um, that's, that's if you keep talking. I'm just going to take myself off while I close the blind on my window because I'm being, being dazzled here by sunshine. <laughs> yeah, you- sure. Don't worry. You'll you'll still hear me. I remember like we, we were in you know the the early stages. Well, sort of what was it? May June. COVID was still a thing, and um, you know we were we had to get this special letter to be able to go to uh, Southampton to that hotel to actually uh, stay there for fourteen days to commentate on two test matches, and you know it was great. And no, I didn't get to do any stand up for uh, well more than a year. And I was, it's okay. You know, I know a lot of comics are kind of obsessed with being on stage and they need uh, to be on stage and just, you know, they need their fix. And, I, and there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. But I, I tried to just relax and just accept it a little bit. You know, I've got, I've had this hectic lifestyle and in the years coming up to COVID, went through a divorce, never really slowed down, so was still on the road. I did like 300 nights away. I think in 2019, I was away from home 300 nights and I only spent sort of 60 odd nights at home home. So 
like I for me, COVID was a really good chance to hit the refresh button and just slow down and also just spend time with my family. I haven't spent a lot of time with them historically. We had a, we had a great time just chatting and playing video games and board games and watching films. And yeah, you know, it was, I mean, I know I feel almost bad because everybody had a very difficult time. And to be fair, I had COVID as well in between. It was really bad. But around all of that, that period was actually kind of nice. I enjoyed it. How draining is it to do a tour, a comedy tour? Um, I mean, we talk a lot in cricket, don't we, about bio bubbles and people on the road all the time, spending time in hotels and, and not really getting out a lot in the in the current climate. But I imagine being on a tour, like you say, coming off stage and having that adrenaline buzz, not getting to sleep till probably quite a long way through the night, it probably messes up your body clock and exhausts you quite a bit, I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, you learn to live with it. I mean, the, the typical day is you kind of, the, you, you kind of wake up, uh, you have breakfast, you pack your bag, you check out of the hotel, you get in a van, you eat something, you check into another hotel, uh, you get ready, you go do the show, you eat something, you go to bed, and then you repeat that cycle for like 17 days. So what you need to do is just try and be a little bit disciplined. So I take, you know, make sure my diet is good and I'm taking the right kind of multivitamins. When you're on the road, it's easier to take multivitamins. It's very easy to get sucked into sort of fast food all the time when you're on on the road. I try not to, I mean, I had those in my twenties, it was service station, fast food all the way. And, you know, I mean, I can't eat most of the things on a, on a McDonald's menu, but, um, if they didn't have a fillet of fish, you'd have to be one of the three people who'd eat those apples you get in a packet. Um, but yeah, so which have been, which have been there all day. So I wonder what the integrity was like. So I, I like, uh, yeah, I, 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 it is quite draining, uh, but I, I think I've got a good routine. My routine gets better every year, so I don't get too tired. I try and run a little bit uh, now. I, I, when I say a little bit, I mean a little bit. I mean like 10 yards from here to the now. I have very little, very little. I, but I try and run a little bit just to keep my uh, cardio up. And uh, yeah, just make sure, like I never want to be short of energy on stage. Like, I don't want to let anybody feel like they're shortchanged. You know, if they bought a ticket to see me, my name is on the ticket. Like that's a privilege and a responsibility. I must, must deliver my best. So yeah. You, you know, you talked about a lot of people knowing you from your other work and not the cricket. Is there crossover now? Do you because because you've been on TMS and people maybe recognise your name? Do you find that cricket people are turning up in your comedy audiences? And I do. So this December we um we did this comedy tour. Uh, it was an aid of a ch- charity, and after the show we'd normally do like a meet and greet. So everybody would take photos or whatever, you know. With the but because of COVID, we didn't do a meet and greet this year. So in lieu of that, we did a Q and A. Well, oh okay, we got four comedians. Ask whatever you want. And I was emceeing the thing, so I'm like, all right, come on then who's got a question for whom. And I was I, I, at these things, I, they're all bigger stars than me, all the other comedians, much, much bigger stars than me, much more famous comedians. And I never expect any, I get like maybe one or two questions like, some, oh, have you lost any weight? Or oh, where's your hair gone? Or something silly like that. But overwhelmingly, like the questions this year were about cricket to the point where all the comics were like, we're going to have to read up on this cricket stuff. Like two of them were American. They're like, what is this? Why, why do they keep asking this comedian about cricket? And there were just all of these people, they were just like, asking about TMS, they're asking about the World Cup, they're asking about individual cricket players. I think just because we just come off the back of the T20 World Cup as well, there was a lot of chat. They're like, well, what do you think about Pug? They wanted, you know, like the guy who asked for the all-time 11 just now, like in a podcast, they were asking questions that need a good 20-minute discussion <laughs> in, in what's supposed to be a 10-second exchange. So they, they, do you think Pakistan can bounce back? Uh, do you think Bangladesh has a chance in the next World Cup? I was like, yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. That's, <laughs> shall we? Good. Guys, I'm really hungry, guys. 
do, do you, you don't strike me as somebody that get, gets nervous because you, you seem just excitable and quite, you know, really up for it and, and, and enjoying it and enthusiastic, which, as I said before, I think that gets, uh, you know, get, gets you a long way in this world. But do you get nervous? I mean, when you first get behind the mic on, on BBC TMS, are you nervous thinking about, I mean, you said you, did, you didn't know too much about it, but w- w- would you have been more nervous getting up on stage for the first time as a stand-up or, the, or getting behind the microphone on TMS? Ooh, uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say stand-up was maybe more nerve. I was more nervous about that because I wasn't as prepared. By the time I got to that mic for TMS, I'd already done years of IPL commentary, years and years of, uh, you know, guerrilla cricket slash test match. So for, uh, I'd already done uh, the big bash. I'd done training sessions with these people who cut like a finishing school for commentators. I'd worked with people whose work I admire and respect. Like by the time I got there, I fully believed I deserved to be there. I was prepared to be there. I, it wasn't like some box ticking ethnic exercise, anything like that. I know that I had to be good. I'm not a professional cricket player. I never made it. I'm very, very good, but I never played pro. No, I, I never, you know, I don't have that level of credibility. So it has to be because my work is good. Right. And uh, I, I was very confident. I was so lucky. I will always be grateful to Ebony Rainford Brent, who was on with me uh, for my first stint, because she made she made me feel comfortable like that. Like, you know, there's some commentators who don't do that for you. Right. But she immediately put me at ease. She made a little joke about my note. I've got this leather notebook and she was like, you know, iPads or tablets or gadgets. You like the notebook. And, you know, we had a little exchange and then, and then like an incomes shut up con. Like it was, you know. It was really nice and easy. And uh, to be fair, like Adam Mountford at uh, TMS, like he's gone out of his way to make sure that uh, I was comfortable and ready. You know, they didn't put me in for the first test. They were like, no, no, we're going to wait till you're absolute. And they put me in for the second test. Uh, And I think he was, you know, he's never given me, he never steered me wrong. So yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't nervous at all is the truth. Because I imagine on stage you're quite exposed, aren't you? I mean, what I always like about doing radio and, and stuff is that you can't. I mean, you, you imagine the audience is there, but you, you're talking to them as if it's one person, effectively, aren't you? Whereas yeah. on a stage in an auditorium, you're talking about a thousand people in, an, in, a, in a theater or whatever, and they can all see you, and you can see them. Well, James, it's it's all about preparation, right? Like when I did my first few gigs, I, maybe I, had, I hadn't written as well or as much, or I hadn't polished my performance. I hadn't been around the world. I hadn't, you know, now. I've performed for what nearly 15 years. No, more than that. God, 16 years. Jeez. Anyway, so I, I've been performing for 16 years, right? I know what I'm doing now. People have paid me well and looked after me and flew me across the world. And, you know, just because I haven't done like Live of the Apollo or don't have a Netflix special doesn't mean I'm not good, right? So um, I... I know what I'm doing. I'm prepped. The same with the cricket. I went in there with all my prep. I know both these teams really, really well. It's about my life watching England and Pakistan. So I, um, you know, I would always advise anybody when they're feeling nervous about something is just think about your preparation. Are you prepared? Do you deserve to be there? What the hell are you nervous for? Get on with it. My name is Jacob and I sent the Badger a message. And now I'm on the podcast with this jingle. If you would like to get in touch with the Cricket Badger podcast, then tweet at cricket underscore badger. Going to test you now on a heckle. Oi, Nawaz, you rubbish. Get off. You're not funny. What are you going to say back to me? Sorry. I'm, I'm, you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Did my mum send you? Sorry. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I um, My heckle put-downs usually involve a lot of um, uh, naughty language. There's a, there's a, there's a clip. 
I don't know if you've seen it, if you saw it when you were looking up stuff, but there's a clip that went quite that went out there quite a bit. It was on the the Guardian's website, and it was a weird thing for them to put up. But they were did an article about the best heckle put downs, and they included a video of mine where I used a very very naughty word. Um, but you're welcome to look it up after this, and um, that remains today, and maybe probably will forever be my best heckle put down. There's quite an art to that, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I watch um, on YouTube. It kind of brings up things that you kind of are supposed to be appropriate to you, and I get loads of. G- me Carr and Frankie Boyle and all those kind of things <laughs> popping up and they're, they're heckle put downs and they're legendary aren't they it's, 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 but it's an art to that do you practice they them are. Or do, you, do they just come naturally well over time do you know you, have you ever had an argument with somebody James and like walked away from that argument and then 10 minutes later thought oh, I wish I'd said that yeah yeah so as a comic you get that opportunity every night somebody will say something to you and you're like oh, man I should have said okay like let's wait until the next time and the next time you're ready and you'll get all sorts of scenarios. So if you do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival every year, I, I did it five years running, right? And that's brutal because you're on stage every day for like at least an hour, probably multiple times. And, you know, against really comedy hardened audiences because it's you versus 8,000 other shows. So, you know, you learn very quickly to be tough at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. You can't just be a shrinking violet. You must be able to defend yourself. Like 11 o'clock at night, your audience is half hammered. Everybody's drunk. And you got to somehow tell them jokes, keep them entertained, and but also keep them in control. So yeah, the cr- sort of crowd control and things like that, you get around to it. A few heckle put downs. You like this. You want to talk about that? Oh my, look, look, you know, but I've got my own style, you know. Um, and yeah, I can't think off the top of my head of any heckle put downs that aren't family friendly. But uh, <laughs> I, I, there, there, I, there are some. I promise you. Just I can't think of any. But yeah, it's about confidence. But also, I genuinely get irritated now sometimes when people heckle me. I'm kind of like, how dare you? You know, there's people. You know who I am. I'm on. No, TV. it's just like you know. <laughs> it's it's an irritant. It's like I'm trying to tell a story. I'm trying to tell you something that I've prepared. And it's you're trying to take some attention for yourself. So I will deal with you, cretin, and then I will silence you so that everybody else can enjoy it, uh, what what I've prepared. I, I I don't know. I just I I go back and forth on it. I suppose you'd be surprised. Very few people heckle me now. They just don't do it. I think if it was me and I, I went away ten minutes later and thought of a heckle put down, I'd be next time I was up on stage, I'd be thinking, "Come on, then, somebody, please, I've got this ready yeah. here." And well, you'd yeah, manufacture yeah. it, wouldn't you? You'd manufacture that scenario. Okay. Right. Um, I've had um, right somebody on Twitter called Ready Salted Franchise Circus, and I think you can possibly tell from that that they, they're not particularly in favour of the franchise stuff. Um, he's saying, I, I, ne- I need Atif to say what a pile of vomit the franchise circus is. And I'll I, I just nip in before you come in on that, because I am, as I said, opposed to the 100. But for me, I know Knuckle, who, you know, kind of cause it format wars but it's it's not that I, I just want to see a balance i love test cricket but i really love the ipl i love watching the psl now i, I love the white ball stuff and the t20 stuff there's a place for it but it's about getting the mix right it's what you were saying earlier about the the summer and making sure that everything gets a little bit of a fair share of it and to me that's what it's all about it's not about saying well that's rubbish so we can't have that it's about just kind of embracing it all and trying to find a trying to find a compartment for it all isn't it I think so. I think it eventually it essentially comes down to how they break down the money, right? Okay. So the franchise stuff brings in all the money, right? We now have a three month long IPL because there's two more teams. On the face of it, people are like, oh, that just takes up more of the window and, you know, blah, blah. I mean, from my perspective, I think, okay, well, that's great because that's more work for people that I know. Uh, you know, that's more cricket to watch for cricket fans as well. Yeah. I think it's difficult 
for longer formats to a- appeal to bigger groups of people uh, when they have to compete with short form cricket. And that's very sad because as we've seen over and over and over again, long form cricket, first class test cricket can be very exciting. Right. And, you know, people always think about county cricket. My mind always goes to Pakistani first class cricket. It was an incredible final that was tied so they play Bob Willis trophy star in Pakistan where there's like a playoff final. Uh, and it was a tied final. You know, it was the, with the captain who was a bowler getting 99. It was the most extraordinary game of cricket. Uh, obviously, we just saw the women's test, uh, you know, and that's people are clamoring for more of that because it was so exciting. And I, I totally agree that long form cricket needs to be preserved. The truth is, though, my friend with the long complex circusy name, that franchise cricket is here to stay. Uh, unfortunately, the world revolves around money um i'm not a socialist but i think i I like to think i'm left of center and i i don't like that when things are all about money i certainly don't like uh, you know the way our current government in the uk uh positions things around money and all that kind of stuff um but i understand that for a lot of people that's a reality like players deserve to make the choices for themselves where they can make as much money as possible i understand that Part of me does think like, you know, when you get the chance to represent your country, you know, uh, you know, as a kid, I always dreamed of, you know, wearing an, an England shirt or, or or a Pakistan shirt or, or or a Netherlands shirt, just a national shirt, you know, just wanted, you know, to, to play cricket internationally. I, you know, I, I, I think I'd like to think there's something special enough about that. But the truth is test cricket in the way that it's supported around the world. It's not evenly it, that that following isn't evenly distributed. Yeah. In England, you'll find people who pay ninety quid for a day one ticket at Lords for a Test match. Uh, in in Pakistan, it's very unlikely to happen. Um, there's a reason why the ECB's apology to Pakistan was not to play an additional Test match in December, but to play two additional T20s in September with a weaker team, and that was more appealing to Pakistan. I think ultimately, what's going to happen, James, is the T20 game needs to subsidise first class cricket a little bit so that you can have pools of players. I think all format players won't be forever. I re- genuinely think in, when, within the next 10, 15 years, you won't have all format players anymore because there's just too much cricket to play. Well, right? if, even though, Atif, the, the, you look at the the guys that actually really genuinely crack all formats, there's not many of them, is there? Not many that are world-class at everything. And they get critiqued. I mean, like right now, Barbara Azam, who, who top scored in the T20 World Cup, yeah. is getting critiqued for his performance in the PSL, if you can believe that. I, I just think it's more of a workload thing as well. Uh, I don't... I, I fear for players mental and physical health because they're just non-stop like England's uh calendar is crazy and I don't think they've rotated their team as well as they could have and should have you know um people think okay if they're not playing an individual match like Moeen was flown out to Sri Lanka wasn't it and then didn't play uh a game and people were like was it Sri Lanka was it India sorry sorry he, he flew to Sri Lanka and got COVID didn't he and then he went to India yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, India and then they didn't play him in one of the games and people like okay well that's a break for him because well it's not a break he's still on the f- away from his family in a different yeah. country sitting there not being like a lot of these players are constantly and that's the story for so many of these players I mean look at Sam Billings and his crazy amount of travel he's had yeah. to do and he's you know been quite funny about it but ultimately these players like you know we're getting to a win thankfully one of the one of the good things about the world is we're starting to understand people's mental health and the kind of um uh, workload we're putting on them i just think the way to ease that and the natural way to ease that is to say right you go off and play four day cricket you go off and play 2020 cricket and because 2020 cricket creates more cash we need to use some of this to subsidize that that's the only way i think we can sustain 
everything going forward. And, and it, it, the difficulty is that both you and I, we would chop our arms and legs off to play international cricket for anybody, as you say. It wouldn't be any good, obviously, because I have no limbs. But because of that kind of thought process that's, that's in us, you're thinking, well, we do that, so why can't you do that? But it's their job, isn't it? And they're on the... I mean, I, I, I covered two years, I covered county cricket home and away. And what people don't see is that once you finish at a particular county ground, you have what looks like two days off, but you're traveling all the next day. Then yep. you're writing your previews or, and, or, and the players are training ahead of the, the, the next game. There aren't, there aren't days off in an English summer. It's, there's too much cricket. And every time I say there's too much cricket, part of me thinks like you ended that a few minutes ago. Well, that's less work. If they got down the matches, that's less work for me potentially. But there is too much cricket, isn't there? Um, I think there's too much cricket for individual people to do all of it. Um, but I don't think there's too much cricket. I, I really think that you can have cricket on every day and, and I'll live with that. I'll be very happy with that. I like when there's multiple matches on at the same time. And, you know, I like to flick through. I like the double screen experience as well. I like that I could watch Afghanistan uh, play against uh, Netherlands at the same time as watch the, the PSL. It's like George DeBell said to me one day, he said, um, there's too much cricket, but if you turn the television on and there's not cricket one day, you're kind of thinking, what do I do now, aren't you? Because you exactly. cricket on, you watch it, don't you? Well, you exactly. Like now you're habitually stuck with cricket. I really like it. I, I'll watch any kind of cricket. I mean, my parents are the kind of people who literally, if there were two kids playing cricket in the street, they'd just stop and watch and start analysing and mostly critiquing. But I, uh, you know, I, I, we love cricket in our household. So we'll watch any, well, anytime cricket is on, any kind of cricket, any level in the world, any gender, any format, whatever, it trumps everything in my house. Yeah. So, you know, it could be, it could be my show. I, I just had a travel documentary come out of me in Istanbul. And it was, you know, really, I think it was quite fun. But uh, I think it came on at the same time as the England West Indies game. So my parents were like, what are you talking about? Put it on, put on BT Sport. We're watching, you know. So I, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm from that world where we watch, we love cricket, and we'll watch it as much. And we're very privileged to live in a time where you don't, you know, you can watch cricket whenever you want. I do sometimes worry about, uh, you know, that instant gratification thing again of like, you know, it was so much fun to anticipate. You know, when you'd like, I, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, James, but I am, where you put on CFAX and just see the Worcestershire versus Warwickshire score. And, you know, just pay, like... Page pay, 341, refresh, refresh, refresh. There you go, right? Uh, oh, the Worcester would usually be on 350 because they were, you know, yeah, yeah. second division. But <laughs> I, I like, I don't know, growing up, I really loved Worcester. I don't know what it was about Worcester, but I really loved Worcester. I think it was Graham Hick. It's my all-time favourite. So I, uh, you know, I'd, I'd refresh and just keep checking the county scoreboard and score. And then when the, the foreign, the overseas team would come for the summer... So let's say it's Pakistan. So you'd see like Pakistan versus Derbyshire and you'd keep checking and, you know, and all you'd know of these players would be their names. And, uh, you know, there was something about that anticipation of like, ooh, but, how are they doing in this it's game? It's the same thing when um, England were announcing a touring squad for Australia or whatever was coming up that winter. You knew, knew they were going to announce it about midday on, on whatever day it was. I'd be on CFAX for about an hour before thinking <laughs> it might come out early. It might come out early. I need to know who's going. I need to know if my heroes are on that plane. And yeah. yeah. It's a different world, isn't it, these days? Um, and it has a knock-on effect on, on cricket as well. So, like, now they don't have those long tours. So, mm. and people, you know, the home team is almost always winning. And then people are surprised surprised like you know i mean come on this is what betting in is all about the truth is it won't happen anymore because you know val the calendars are valuable and you know you need to play a t20 series here and then you need to go and do one day as then they need to go play a test series. so because of the amount of cricket those days are long on and they'll never come back sadly is the yeah. truth but um but it's nice to remember them
I'm going to finish off this podcast and it's, it's brilliant to have you on today. I really enjoyed it. And um, with a few of my um, quick questions that I tend to ask the players sometimes, so we're going to ba- bang through these to finish off with. Who was your cricket hero when you were young? Um, Wakai Yunus. No, if you Graham could, Hick. I take that back, Graham Hick. If, Graham if Hick. you could trade lives with any current cricketer for a day, you can live in their skin, you've got their talent, you experience their life for 24 hours, who would you pick? Who would you slide into for one of the best um, uh, Liam Livingston. Okay. Not in the form that he's been in in the Caribbean, though, because he looks a bit... No, no. After being ill, he's looked a bit rusty, hasn't he? Yeah, I think oh, once he's purged and everything, then, then I want to be Liam Livingston. Um, I'm going to put you in charge, Atif Navaz. You've got a, your sign is on the door at the ICC. You're in charge of world cricket. Your first job is going to be to do... Uh, make India play Pakistan. I'll tell you what. One of the things, and I, I, I can say this because I am completely neutral in this. One of the things that really annoys me, and I know there's a whole heap of political backdrops of it, India against Pakistan. You see it on Twitter all the time. But if I ever tweet, I want to see some of the Pakistan players in the IPL. Babar Azam should be playing in the IPL because you can't call the IPL the best tournament in the world unless you've got Babar Azam in it. I get so much grief off Indian supporters for saying that. And vice versa. You know, it goes both ways. Yeah. I just wish they'd just make friends because they are two great nations and it'd be great to see them play, wouldn't it? It's it's ultimately, ultimately it's a political issue. I, I I know for a fact there's people at the, uh, the BCCI and at specific friends franchises who are desperate to get a hold of some Pakistani players because they know that they can market the crap out of them if nothing else uh, and they'll add quality but anyway sorry this is quick fire isn't it but yeah that's a whole other discussion that's what I would do anyway yeah that, that's a podcast in itself isn't it India versus Pakistan <laughs> if you could meet in anybody living or dead cricket this is anybody living or dead who would you want to meet um oh, I've been so lucky I've got to meet almost everybody I've wanted almost everybody um do you know, it's really weird. I've never met David Gower before. I think I'd like to meet David Gower. Okay. He, he, came, he came on the podcast and uh, I told him it was going to be 40 minutes and about an hour and a half later, we were still talking. He was great. Fantastic. I, I would um, have said Sir Viv, by the way, but I've, I got to meet him. So, you know. I was so annoyed the yeah. other day. I worked for a company and we had, and they'd arranged Viv Richards to come on and be interviewed for a podcast. I was saying, I'll do it. I'll do it. I really want to do it. Viv Richards is yeah. my all-time hero. That would be the answer to my question. And yeah. they got some guy in India to do it. And I was I was gutted. I'm still gutted. I'm still in therapy for it. Can I tell you very quickly who, yeah. how I got to interview him? This is how mad it was, right? So I, during the 2019 World Cup, I got to do this stadium announcing gig. So, you know, the big screen guys who are like, hey, this is the score, but don't forget to buy your commemorative umbrellas or whatever. That was me. And I, you know, I, and they were like, oh, we're going to get you a guest every, every match. And I was like, all right, fair enough. So for one match, they bought me this random random YouTuber. For one match, they bought me the singer. They were bringing all these random people with no connection to Korea who were trying to flog something, basically. And then one day, they're like, yeah, we've got a cricketer today. I'm like, all right, great. Who is it? They're like, oh, we, we don't know. He's like some West Indian guy. Like, all right, okay. Do you know Do you know who it is? I'm like, nah, he's just some West Indian guy. He's coming in in a minute. And they had him sitting on a plastic chair. I was like, deep. I saw him, I was like, I was outraged. I was like, do you know who that, do you, do you know who, they had no idea. Like, this is an events company. They had no idea oh. about who cricket. And I was like, so Viv, I'm so sorry. Can I get you something? Can I, and I was like, all of a sudden became Alfred to his Batman. And you know, it, it just blew my mind. That's how I got to meet him. Oh. He gave me a hug as well, which was really nice. He, he's the hero of mine. I watched him when I was younger and he, he's just everything I wanted to be. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Um, let's extend that hero question. Um, dinner party. Let's bring comedy into this. You've got, Four guests to come around for, for dinner, maybe two cricket and two two comedy. What would make them not an entertaining couple of hours over your cooking? Mm, I, again, like it would probably be comics that most people have never heard of uh, because like I, I like a lot of 
circuit comedians right as it were who just haven't found the same level of fame but if it were, we're going for like broad overall hugely talented people uh robin williams who's passed away now like that would have been cool oh, to spend yeah. time with him um george carlin is also gone uh richard pryor maybe also i mean just naming dead comics now sorry it's a bit depressing um that's, that's, you, you, no you're not because you bring them back to life for your dinner party yeah, yeah but they're great though i mean they're all fan- incredible performers uh, alive comics um i really like sarah millican i've never actually met her but i've like been around her i've never but we've never exchanged i really like her though sarah she's really uh, got a really cool energy and like on tv I don't think TV's ever done her justice. Like you can see her live and she's mind blowing. And Omid Jalidi, who's my all time hero, but again, he's in, my, he's in my phone now. I could just ring him. So uh, I, sh- I should have a dinner party with Omid Jalidi. Why don't I do that? <laughs> it sounds like a plan to me. I would. <laughs> <laughs> Final question, Atif. Um, if you had access to a time machine, uh, you can go forwards or backwards. Um, this could be comedy or or it could be cricket. Where would you take that time machine to? Some people I ask that to want to go forwards to see either what's going to happen in their career or where cricket's going. Some people want to go back to body line or something and sit in the stands and watch the game from uh, back in black and white days. I, I would go back to uh, 1992 and yeah. uh, go to my seven-year-old, six-year-old self and say, listen, kid, Enjoy this test match between Pakistan and England. Pakistan's going to win, by the way. But listen, one day, someone's going to come into your life that's going to give you a pass that lets you come back to the stadium whenever you want and sit not where you're sitting right now, but in the single best seat in the house where you can talk about the game and they'll pay for your meal and they'll pay you to be there and they'll put the air conditioning on if you want as well. Your life is going to be amazing. Just wait. Just wait. Don't worry about all the stuff. You're going to have some trials, tribulations, obstacles, life changing, all that crap. But eventually, you're going to get this incredible pause that's going to make you really happy. Just wait for it. That's what I'd say to myself. That's a very, very good answer. I like that. That's probably my favorite answer of all time on that yes. question. Have you ever met Imran Khan, by the way? No, no, I never have. Oh, well, that's not true, actually. Apparently, I met him when I was a child, but I don't remember it. Um, he's been to my parents' house. Like they, I think they made a donation to his cancer hospital back in the day, and he, he was uh, happy about it and came to um, say thank you personally. Uh, but I don't remember it. I never got to meet him. I'd, li- I, I'd like to meet him, I suppose. I, I Again, I, I don't know... I've read uh, like there's three different books about uh, written by and uh, about Imran Khan that I've read. Uh, I feel like I know a lot of, about him. I'd like to meet him just to to have met him. But um, like there's other play- players who get me more excited about you know the game right now that I'd rather get into their heads and talk about. You know, I had this conversation with uh, Owen Morgan, which was fast. Like he, the insight I got from 10 minutes with Owen Morgan was like one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. And annoyingly, it was on the Dusra, so not a lot of people heard it. But it was really, really good. Like it was just so insightful about the game you know and Rashid Khan is another one like Rashid I want to sit with for hours because he loves spin bowling he just likes to hold a ball and just start talking about it and the things you can do with it. it's just incredible um I, I love watching him play because he, he he kind of like hangs around when the batsman's walking in I'm, and I'm, I'm sure he's not sledging them he's actually just saying hi how are you and he's, yeah. he, he looks he looks really excited to be on the pitch every time I see him he looks absolutely as if he's loving every single second and for me that yeah whether it's football cricket whatever you're watching if you can see somebody out there that's playing the game and playing it 100%, but looking like they're enjoying it. That means everything, doesn't it? He's 
he does he's and and you know that's what you want you want you don't want to look at people who look miserable to be i mean there are some i mean i'm not gonna name any names but there's a couple of franchise tournaments out there where players look like they're kind of just can't you know they're not particularly interested in what it is they're doing and it's very hard to get motivated for a team that was just created three days ago and uh you know doesn't have any lineage or whatever it's not like they're just lining up for arsenal or in the premiership or something you know it's it's a very different feeling so it's very nice to see players who are really invested in what they're doing and in when they're enjoying themselves a bonus yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Atif, it's been brilliant. We could go on for about three more hours, I'm sure, because uh, plenty of other stuff we could have talked about. But it's been fantastic to have you on the Cricket Badger podcast today. Good luck with all of you do in the future. And well, hopefully we talk again soon. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, James. This has been a lot of fun. And, uh, and um, I, I, you know, even though I think initially when you came on my radar, we had slightly different views uh, about the counties. I've really enjoyed watching uh, a lot of the stuff that you put out. And I find you quite uh, insightful and, and uh, informative. So I really like and really value the output that you have and uh, I'm going to check out a lot more of these podcasts as well in the future you can extend that answer if you want to (laughs) I would but the PSL starting in two minutes so (laughs) that is now my favourite answer Um, thank you very much listeners and viewers thank you very much indeed and I will see you again very soon Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.